Welcome to Cloudlandia, Mr. Sullivan. Ah, Mr. Jackson, are you enjoying your palatial four seasons? Yes, I'll tell you what. It's so nice that everything's done now. It's like having a oh. new renovation. We got new new carpet, new hardwood, new wallpaper in the kitchen. Everything. It's all fantastic. Mm-hmm. Done now. Finally. Mm-hmm. We're excited about that. How about you? You're up at the yeah, cottage now? It's, yes, I am. Yeah. And it's been spectacular. We've had really, really great, you know, sort of that idyllic cottage, mm-hmm. cottage culture weather. And yeah. And uh, although it was very smoky for the first uh, two oh, days, cows. yeah, because we have the Quebec, you know, yes, <clears throat> in Canada, in Canada, you always blame it on Quebec. That's right. That's yeah. right. It was, they just separate already. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this is a big forest area on the very the west side of Quebec, which is basically <clears throat> forest, you know, yeah. hundreds of square miles of forest. So even though it was a major fire, there was it didn't affect any towns at all right. because there are no towns. Right. <laughs> they, right. The great wilderness. So much, there is so much nature in this country. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How's your construction project going? Well, we we you know, you the wheels of government approvals here really grind very slowly and uh, Uh so we have to get a demolition we have to get a demolition thing first and we're going to have it done after the college season the cottage Mm -hmm. season is over Mm -hmm. and it'll be that'll you know that doesn't take very long that takes a week or two and then we have to really get the cottage fine-tuned the new design this is a second for, for those who are listening this is a adjoining property that we have with our main tree. So we'll have about 300 feet of frontage on the water with, nice. the two, with the two. And they go around a bend. So one of them is facing sort of more west than south, and one of them is <clears throat> more south. So there's a, okay. a curve. And this is nice. old rock. This is, this is, you know, this is Canadian shield rock. Yeah. And right. This is four million years old rock, and it's it's a very striking locale, you know. And Muskoka, of course, is the great cottage country. We're in Halliburton, yeah. which is to the mm-hmm. east. It's about you know, it's about a hour's drive mm-hmm. to the east. <clears throat> and this was the great forest industry part of Canada, in like eighteen hundred. And yeah. the British Navy came. The British Navy's ships were mainly wood from this area. Oh, wow. They had a huge lumber. It was the number one industry in Canada, in what is now Canada mm-hmm. in the 18, 1800s. Oh, wow. Yeah. And of course, they thought you know, there was just so much natural resource that they just cut and cut and cut. And then somebody said, you know, maybe we should replant. We're going to run out of wood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, but but it goes on forever. I mean, it's not just here in Ontario. It's in Quebec. It's in, when you get to Manitoba, you know, you you have all that. And it just goes on forever. So, you know, it's no wonder that, you know, the big complaint about modern Canadians and modern Americans, how wasteful they are. Well, when you've lived... 
your whole culture where you couldn't run out of things. It doesn't make you particularly, you know, stingy. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't make you. Yeah. So, but uh, I was thinking about that, uh, that uh, interesting statistic from Peter Zion, that yeah. if you, if you doubled the population of the United States, you know, you know, sort of spreading the new population across the entire country, it would still feel, uh, and you got to 650 million, 660 mm-hmm. million. If yeah. you got there, the country would still feel pretty empty. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Like I, I did a, when Joe Stump and I were doing all the big real estate seminars, we were very sort of West, Western United States, you know, weighted. We were doing more, uh, you know, over half of the events were in, you know, in California. We'd do Phoenix and Palm Springs and LA and San Francisco and Seattle and Denver and, you know, that kind of all, all on the Western side. And I was making the argument for more East Coast events and got a satellite view of the U.S. by light source. Have you ever seen that map that shows mm-hmm. light? And you could draw a line like at the Rockies, like you're right up the middle of the country. And it looked like just the entire right side was lit up where all the populate all the population is, you know, over mm-hmm. on the east side very much. And, you know, you're saying you, uh, that makes total sense with Peter Zion that you could kind of fold that over even onto the West side, especially mm-hmm. in the Western United States, there's nothing. And that would make no, uh, no difference. But I like even Florida, if you look at Florida mm-hmm. right now, there's 22 million people right now. We're projected mm-hmm. for 29 million by 2030. So you're yeah. kind of growing. We're growing yeah. 1,500 <clears throat> people a day right now. But the most mm-hmm. of Florida, the entire middle of Florida is basically the outback. I mean, you can drive well, for miles and not see anything. We were way back in the 70s. I went on a trip to Florida, and it was on mm-hmm. the west side. We were staying in mm-hmm. Lakeland, Florida. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> we had a friend there who was a cattle breeder, but he had gotten interested in citrus fruit. So he had big grapefruit, grapefruit, but he was in a cooperative. So all the work was done mm-hmm. by the workers in the cooperative. And, you know, and neat thing about grapefruit is that it doesn't spoil on the trees. And oranges and grapefruits, you can leave them hanging there for as long as you want. They don't spoil. So mm-hmm. it gives you some really good timing as far as when to pick and sell. And so, you know, and he was canny. He was kind of like a, just a canny person mm-hmm. he understood cattle but we went to a cattle ranch in the middle of florida and it's like the in the lower 48 states it's like the number three cattle ranch in the united states uh-huh. I mean, right it just went on i mean we got on the ranch and then it was 30 miles to the homestead you know we mm-hmm. had to drive 30 miles once we were on the ranch but it was right down in the middle just above the everglades and and so what we saw is a lot of pigs you know, there were hundreds and thousands of cattle, but there were a lot of pigs and they just seemed to be wandering around. And so wow, our, wow. my friend, yeah. yes, no, no, they were domestic. They were domestic, oh, okay. but they, yeah, they didn't last long enough to go wild, you know. Oh, okay, and, uh, okay, yeah. 
And anyway, he said, I said, what are all the pigs for? This is a cattle ranch. And he says, well, you know, yeah, you can have beef every night for so long. You just want to change. And so we go out and we just roast up a couple of pigs and eat that. And I said, well, I notice there's no fences. And I said, you don't worry about them? And he says, well, how are they going to get off the ranch? <laughs> we had to go 30 uh, miles. That's a real that's a real trip for a short-legged pig, you know. <laughs> right, and, right, right, uh, right, right. And but anyway, the sheer size, and this is, you know, psychologically, if you go back, the huge difference between the new world and the old world. If you think about Europe, where every square inch of landscape is surveyed and owned and it's populated, I mean, I think Holland has the greatest density in any country in the world, even more so mm. than some of the Asian countries. Oh, really? Wow. And yeah. And and then they come to this new world and they just give you a hundred mi- acres, you know, like yeah. here, we're just going to basically for almost nothing, we're going to give you a hundred acres and see what you, if you make an improvement on it over the next five years, then you own the We'll give you the land for life, you know, and everything mm-hmm. like that. And what a draw that must have been for people who had nothing in Europe, especially in Europe. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, you know, if you can make it across the ocean, we'll give you land. And in the new um, world. And Yeah. And uh, if all of it's taken where you are, then just go another 50 miles to the west. <laughs> There's a lot. And my sense is the frontier took from 1620. Jamestown, you know, the first permanent settlement, Jamestown, Virginia, to 1890, when they finally surveyed the last bit of whichever Western territory it was, 1890, it was Mm -hmm. all surveyed. And they said the frontier is now officially over. You know, we have no Mm -hmm. more frontier. (laughs) And but that 270 years Really, I put a, put an incredible stamp on probably, what would you say, 15 years per generation, even let's say 20 years per generation. So 20, you know, it's about 15 generations. And, wow, uh, yeah. That probably just put a permanent stamp on the psyche of the Americans. Now, yeah, you look at the, I mean, and it's so, it's amazing now if you take the parallel and you bring it into Cloudlandia, if you count James <laughs> If Jamestown was 1996, you know, when everybody started kind of landing in <laughs> in Cloudlandia, even though there was no infrastructure, really, there was no, you know, no electricity, no all of that stuff. If you look at the highway systems and we liken the development of Cloudlandia over, you know, a, a generation and a half here. Well, and that's it's, sort of... And a... we're never going to run out. That's the amazing thing. Well, there's an, infinitely, there's an infinitely expanding frontier yeah. in Cloudlandia, and um, you're not trespassing. You're not really trespassing in the same way you do on the mainland, you know I mean? Right. Yeah. And, uh, not a and I think that, that no. why, you know, the ChatGPT took over, you know, which is the latest uh, new adventure in Cloudlandia sure. is ChatGPT. That if you look at the numbers, they'd say 100 million right away, 100 million people are using it. And I said, but not everywhere, not everywhere. And my sense is that it's, I was just breaking it down. I said, it's mostly Americans, 
or people connected to it, or people connected to America digitally. It's probably males. They're probably single, and they're probably between 25 and 45, and they just want to go places where nobody's gone before. And this is, they got a vehicle for doing this. And that's the frontier. That's the frontier mentality. What's beyond the settled territory? What's beyond the settled territory? Right, right, right. And what are you going to settle on the territory? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. really, this is the thing. It's such amazing times. Like a couple of things that, that have jumped out over the last little bit here. Here, I just saw that Mr. Beast, again, now with Feastables, his new company, his chocolate mm-hmm. your confection company, is global now. They've got in, the, they're all over the world. They, you mm-hmm. know, they've taken over the United States and things. And I read in, what's happened in the last few weeks is Mr. Beast has sort of soured a little bit on on Mr. Beast Burger as a mm. as a collaboration in that he can't control mm-hmm. the quality of what the product is being delivered, right? Like a mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. variation because it's going, you know, it's expanded so quickly and there's so many restaurants making the, you know, making his burgers, making the menu. And that was a collaboration largely driven by someone coming to him with that, like virtual Mm -hmm. dining concepts, but Robert Earl was the driver of that. And so if we take the VCR formula, Robert Earl went to Mr. Beast with a capability offering to bring him into the burger business with tapping into his His reach. reach. Right. So it wasn't there. It wasn't driven by, Mr. Beast, and it wasn't Mr. Beast's capability to to do the thing. Now, Feastables, what they did was they started with the vision, and they sought out the capability, and they're the. It reminded me of your always be the buyer. That there's a difference mm-hmm. where if you're the visionary, you're the buyer of this, right? Mm-hmm. If you're you're partnering with a capability that if you have the vision and the reach, partnering with the capability is that's kind of the power position. And the difference between feastables, which is packaged goods that you can 100% control the quality of, and then partnering with Walmart as reach to multiply the reach that you have a physical, you know, Mr. Beast's Cloudlandia reach with an outlet at the largest footprint retailer reach mm-hmm. in the country. That makes a huge, I mean, mm-hmm. a huge difference. And it's a product-based thing. And I look at yeah. Prime. There's another major story in the VCR world right now, which is Prime Energy Drink, which was driven by Logan Paul and KSI, another, you know, two big global YouTubers who have partnered to make this energy drink. And they're, you know, last year sold $250 million 
of this energy drink. And now they are, it's kind of funny how this, the, you know, it's like VCR squared. They are now as an entity, a capability partnering with other big reach outlets, like they, they're the official hydration of UFC, the ultimate fighter competition, the Dana White big MMA thing. They're just announced as the official hydration of the Barcelona football club, which is a huge international thing. And they did it with Manchester United. And those guys are, there's no limit to where that's going. But again, a packaged good product that they're the driver of the well, uh, the, and as you said, the thing. central issue here is quality control. Yes, yeah. I mean, a shitty restaurant anyway can produce <clears throat> shitty Mr. Beast burgers. That's exactly what I mean, yeah. That's the thing, yeah. right? That you're, rather than having something that you can just deliver to somebody in the experience, the unboxing, mm-hmm. it's only just distributed. Well, to you know, them. my newest quarterly book is called The Geometry for Staying Cool and Calm. And, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the, there's three rules, which we've, you've very kindly, you know, <clears throat> talked about on the podcast. The three rules are everything's made up by someone sometime. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes someone made up something. So things that are thousands of years old, it was still someone at some time made this up. You know, somebody wrote it down, you know, you know, and somebody said, well, what about the Bible? And I said, somebody wrote it down. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, it was just a discussion until somebody wrote it down, somebody. Okay. So the big thing is that if you take the three rules, everything's made up, nobody's in charge. And number three, life's not fair. There's some byproducts that come out of that. One of them is it's all, it's all guessing and betting. So mm-hmm. the future is all that. betting. Yeah, right. yeah, the future is all guessing and betting, you know. And so when you hear somebody, this is very definitely technology is going in this direction. What you have is someone telling you that they're guessing on something and you they want you to bet on it. <laughs> you know, and you know, and so the this whole notion that the future is predetermined is silly because even with Mr. Beast who knows the power of YouTube. I mean, I mean, he's proven that he knows the power just with his community is hundreds, you know, more than a hundred million. But he's guessing what he can do with that community, and he's betting. So, Mr. Beast, Mr. Beastberger was a bet, okay, and took yeah. up time, took up energy, took up skills, took up probably some money. And with him, it's not so much money; it's just how does he want to spend his time? You know, that's right. really. I think his biggest thing is not wasting time, you know, but right. he just tested on something. And now one thing he's learned, we have to control the product. That's a, yeah. that's a useful learning. I'm sure he didn't lose any money on Mr. Beast. No, no, because it's still going strong. It was, it's still going strong. Yeah. But yeah. he's just losing. Like it was an interesting thing. He tweeted that, yeah. you, you know, that he can't, you know, virtual dining solutions won't let him out of the they won't let him out of the contract or he can't stop even he said you know they i can't my partners won't let me stop even though it's bad for my brand you know 
Yeah, which is really yeah. interesting. Well, he's, he's at twenty, uh, you know, at twenty-six. If he, I'm not sure his exact age, but uh, 24, 26. He's learned a powerful lesson that mm-hmm. applies for the rest of his life. You got to be the owner. Yes, always be the buyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, he he just he just learned. I mean, I didn't learn that until I was in my fifties. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm a but I am a committed slow. I'm a committed learner, but sometimes I'm a slow learner. Yeah, I've got a tool variation for you. Okay. Okay, and this was prompted by your raising the topic of Dean Landia. Oh, I've always kind of liked the tool we have called the fast filter rather than the big impact filter. Yeah. And uh-huh. the fast filter. The fast filter. You just write down. Here's the project, here's the best result, here's the worst result, and here are five success criteria. And for all practical purposes, it does 90% of what the impact filter does, but in about yeah. half the time, about mm-hmm. half the time. So I've, And you and I are people of a quickness nature that we've got 15 minutes or we lose interest. So I go for a tool that only takes 15 minutes. And uh, But here's the thing, and this is a question for you, but I'll just tell you what I did. Of all the profiles that we've done, the Colby profile we've done in Coach, we've done the Colby profile, we've done Myers-Briggs, we've done DISC, you know, D-I-C, we've print, yeah. and we... Yeah, and we've just done the working genius, and everybody in free zone is going to get that in the next quarter. We're just sending it out in September. Everybody right. can just go do that that profile, and they can do that with their teams and you know the whole thing. But of all of them, and I didn't mention it yet, but the one that really struck home for me was the Strength Finder, which came out of the mm. Gallup organization. So my five strengths are, number one, ideation, you know, that if I'm going to take action on something, it'll be on an idea. Number two, maximizer. I'm interested in ideas that don't take average things and make them better. I'm only interested in things that take already extraordinary people and make them even more productive. So maximizer. Mm -hmm. Number three, self-assurance is that personally, I don't think I can ever get into trouble with a new idea, you know, that I always have confidence that, you know, it'll either work or I'll get some learning out of it, but there's no loss with coming up with a new idea. And number four is context, is that I'm passionate about how this connects to everything. So if I create something, I immediately want to know, how does this connect to everything else I've done? And number five is activator, that there's no idea worth spending any time if it doesn't lead to action. So those are my mm. thoughts, okay? And, you know, experience and the observation of my team would pretty well prove it out that there isn't anyone, any other strength on the list of 34. These are the top five out of 34 that would replace one of the ones that are in the top five, okay? And that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. I said, I don't think so either. And so what I did is that on the the fast filter, you have five success criteria. So I just put in the five, you know, ideation, maximizer, self-assurance, context, and activator. And then I think of a particular project and I said, okay, so what's the central idea here? What's the central idea here? 
ideation. Okay, just take something and really make a big jump with it. Maximizer number three that this will if you pull this off, this will be real jump in your self assurance. Okay, number this actually connects with about five other things that I'm doing or ten other things that I'm doing. That's context and number five activator, and I can immediately see that I can take this action within the next day or two. And then I go back and I write worst result of doing this, best result. So I do it backwards. I do the five success criteria first, and then I do worst mm-hmm. result. And said, ah, oh, this is just one of your another harebrained scheme that uh, you get all excited about and you distract a lot of other people. I tell the whole story how this is just puts me in the ditch like other yeah. things. And then I go to the best result, and I said, this is a breakout moment in my entire 79-year life, you know, and everything, and, and away we go. And so I just wondered, you know, did you do the Strength Finder? Did you? I did years ago, and it, it's for ideation. Ideation was like yeah. at the top of my Yeah, we're list. both ideation, which probably yeah. people could guess. Yes. And that's uh, so it's interesting. No, but it'd be interesting because you've got the fast filter on your website. You know, you just, yeah, but all you do is that you, the first word in the five success criteria are the five strength finders. You just put the first word and then you say, and, you know, and you can see what that, their explanation of each of those are, but you kind of know anyway. But I'm noticing that it does amazing things with projects. First of mm-hmm. all, it gives you an incredible amount of immediate motivation to do the project because it's it checks off all the boxes where you get energy. Mm. Anyway, I just thought it would... Just so everybody out. would put in the fast filter, they would seed their the five, five success criteria with their five strength finders. With That's their five strength finders. So it, yeah, yeah. So it custom designs it immediately yeah. that you're only doing this project for your purposes. Yes. Where could I find my strength finder again? Oh, Julia Waller, I'll ask. I'm at the cottage and she's in the next cottage. I'll just, I'll see her tonight. And I'll just say, could you just look up Dean, Dean Jackson's strength finders? Okay, great. And if not, and if she can't, she'll just give you their contact information. I mean, you do it over again. It's $35, $40 online. So, you know, you, well, you can do it, good. but it's a very... I think, you know, do four or five of them. Just take, at random, just take five projects and run it through. And you see yeah. that it makes you into the total buyer of everything that you do. I don't go into this unless it checks off my five strength finder boxes. Mm-hmm. I'm not devoting an ounce of energy unless it checks all five boxes. And I think that's as good a definition of what me- <clears throat> being a buyer for you means as it mm-hmm. does, you know. Anyway, so just thought you'd be interested in that. Yeah, I'm very fascinated by that because that I've gone through and I've had somebody on my team do the working genius. And James mm-hmm. helped me put together a you a team profile that shows mm-hmm. a map of where everybody is on your team. So when you're building, mm-hmm. you're kind of the next thing when you're going forward with a project, I know that we need all of the widgets, you know, we need every, we need somebody's genius 
in every aspect of it to get it all the way through, all the way from wonder to mm-hmm. tenacity, somebody to follow through mm-hmm. with it. And so that's kind of a, I like all these combinations. You know, of what when you're what looking I'm at, looking for is just the one tool that works everywhere. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I've created lots of, you know, in coach, we've created lots of tools. Yeah, but I'm just always looking for the one tool that's a really fast mm-hmm. tool. That's just yeah. the starting point for everything. You know, yeah. just, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like Jack Pellance talking to Billy Crystal and, you know, Billy yeah, Crystal. Yeah, the one thing. And, uh, yeah, the first and meaning he of says, life, I'm going to yeah. give you, he said, Billy, I'm going to give you the secret of life. And he holds up his finger, one finger. And Billy Crystal says, your finger is the secret to life. <laughs> he says, yeah, but we're all looking. I mean, if, especially if you're AD and you're a 10 quick start and ideation is your yeah. number one strength fighter, you're subject to a lot of distractions. <laughs> yeah. Like hourly. True. Like mm-hmm. hourly. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes in the middle of the night. <laughs> so funny. That that was where. Oh, you know, by the I way, Michael that. Bruce, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm meeting weekly with Michael Bruce, and he just wanted to pass mm-hmm. on his best wishes to you. Oh, good. We had some conversations with... He's really good oh. at what he's really good. I tell you, he's really, really good at what he does. Yeah. For the listeners, this is a great sleep psychologist named Michael Bruce. He lives in Hermosa Beach, California, and yeah. I'm going through a 12-week program with him where I have to diary my sleep every night in the morning I do this and the whole thing is to get me two two things one is to establish a regular get up time for me which is five o'clock so this is really good because I'm in my just finishing my fourth week now and I've gotten up at five o'clock every morning for 28 days and and then he won't let you go to bed earlier I'm at 10 30 now so I get six and a half hours sleep and but what he the ultimate goal here is one is that I always have a wake up time that's predictable so that my system kicks in and creates the sleep drive during the day. Mm-hmm. I don't have to use meds at night and I'm mm-hmm. down to half of my meds after four weeks. So mm-hmm. in just four weeks, I'm off half. And then during the day, I don't have to use Adderall to propel me for the whole day. So I have a early morning slow release. I have a slow release that I take right away. He's leaving that alone. And at night I have a Lunesta that I take just to start the night and he's leaving that alone. He's gotten rid of the halfway, the two thirds through the night Sonata. So that's gone. And my daytime Adderall, like let's say afternoon, that's gone. So I've already dropped two of them in four weeks. So it's really good. Did you get a chance to experiment with uh, telling yourself you, you being happy that you get to have the best two hours of sleep two hours here when you wake up? I've tried myself. that. I haven't tried that, you know, but that's a trick that we had. There's this mad, crazy sort of like survival thing. I forget what it's called, but where you go four weeks and you're a team of four. One of them has to be a woman. And okay. you have to climb mountains, you have to swim across, you know, straits of water, you have to go through jungle and everything else. And and you only have 24, 96 hours to pull it off. 
and they have tricks. And one of the tricks is they all, they go on two hours two hours of sleep per night. Wow! But it's the last two hours. It's the last two hours before sunrise. And if you wake up at sunrise, your body thinks that you it can, for four days your body can pull you or your mind can pull your body into believing you got full night's sleep four nights in a row. And then it falls apart on the fifth day. You know, really? You go long. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting. I'm actually surprised that you're that, you know, limiting to six and a half hours or whatever that works yeah. out to be. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm but he, this, this is not forever. This is just to get okay. me through this period. Reset. This is just yeah, to get yeah. me through. And I think I think I'm probably at my limit right now. I don't think he's going to push it any further. And, no. and but he might. And first it was seven hours. Then it was so it was ten o'clock, and then it was ten fifteen, and now it's ten thirty. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. I've had lots of energy, and I've gotten lots of yeah. things done. But what I've and done what is the, wherever. Why I'm curious about why five a.m. Is that? No, you choose that. that. You choose that. No, you choose that. You choose that. Okay. But then it's that's what it is. So he said, you get up anywhere from 4 to 5.30, but if you had to do it every morning, which would you do? And he, Babs and I both agreed we'd do it at 5 o'clock. And he says, good. So 5 is fixed. So regardless of when okay. you go to bed, although I'm not going to let you go to bed earlier than 10 o'clock. <laughs> the one time we didn't, we went to see Jeff Madoff's premiere. Play. Premier yeah. Week, personality mm-hmm. in Chicago, which is yeah. a dynamite play and and musical. And he, we got home at two o'clock in the morning. It was downtown, and we went out afterwards. And I said, Babs, there's no way we're getting up at five o'clock. So mm. <laughs> we just got up at nine o'clock because we had to get to the airport to fly home. But uh-huh. I said, you know, every yeah. once in a while, I'm just going to. I mean, yeah. Rules aren't any good if you can't make exceptions. Right, right, right. Yeah, my, I would love, like, I think that my natural, if I just look at my natural cycle, would probably be, if it was eight-hour period, it'd probably be 11 to 7 would be mm-hmm. my natural preferred. I think that's, like, the perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. I think everybody's. It doesn't matter. Just his whole point is it doesn't matter what the hours are, just so that you stick with it because your body adjusts and then it and adjusts its system. But if you're all over the map with it, your body then you get all sorts of sleep disorders and right, right, right. Yeah. But I'm from childhood. I've been an early riser. You know, farm boy. You were at the break of dawn. And, uh, you know, I was in sports uh, going through school. You do, you were too, but you got up yeah. early. You had morning practices. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was in the Army, Army. You get up at, you know, you get up at 6, mm. 6 o'clock, you know. So, mm. uh, you know, I was just used to it. And, and I find I'm most creative before noon. You know, I get mm-hmm. most of my creative creativity. I can talk endlessly after 3 o'clock, but don't ask me to create anything in the <laughs> afternoon. That's funny. I have a second, like if I were to say, I have a second creative period, in, you know, at like three or four in the afternoon till six or seven. That's like a really good, if I just look at my, you know, yeah. biorhythm or whatever, it's first, yeah. first thing in the morning, you know, till 
noon and then another i think the european you know the siesta model is like the perfect <laughs> thing i think you know get get up do what you uh, do creative work well in the you've morning. got florida heat you got florida heat yeah. to blame on it even though you're in air conditioning but mm. uh, you know you know i think it's it's a light thing too how much light you get you get way more light than we do in toronto it's during really, the year you know, it's fun the way that you and i talk about these things you know different approaches to it but part of the thing i guess is picking the game that you like and the way that you like to play the game and establishing your life around it you know just you know fitting it into what you're natural and not everybody's the same like like you for you i don't like the idea of waking up at five o'clock even you know robin sharma do you know robin sharma wrote the the oh yeah 5 a.m club so we had lunch at Well, I sure don't want to. I'll get up at five, but I'm not going to be a member of the club at five o'clock. <laughs> right, exactly. The 5 a.m. club. <laughs> Are you kidding? I was joking with him. I said, you know, it's so funny that everybody tries to, in personal development, it feels like everybody tries to pigeonhole you into their method of you got to get up at 5 a.m. And if your dreams aren't big enough to get you bouncing out of bed in the morning, you're you know, funny. The last time I saw Robin was at the Soho Hotel in in London, and oh, he okay. just happened to be in the restaurant. He just happened to be in the restaurant when I was there, so we wow. pulled up a table. You know, we got a table together, and I was talking. And he was yeah. saying, you know, he was sort of at a decision point in his, you know, what he was doing, and you know that every he had stages, and he was at the end of one of his stages, and he was. And I said, Robin, maybe it's time for the monk to buy a new Ferrari. <laughs> That's right. I love it. So for everybody listening, Robin Sharma very famously first thing wrote a book called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. And that's great. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Maybe Ferrari. I think yeah. that's fantastic, yes. Dan. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's kind of a... Well, it's you know, his I, language, so he would... It's his language, yeah. so he would know what that meant, you know. Of so. course, and it was just so perfectly appropriate. Like, once you, you know, it's so funny that the... You know, I think about that often, that for the last 25 years, or 23 years, my go-to, I know I'm being successful when, has been... You know, I wake up every day and ask, what would I like to do today? And maybe it's time that I wake up and ask myself, what would I like to do tomorrow? Instead of <laughs> doing and do the things that I used to wake up. I wake up every day and I know exactly what I'm doing for the day. And that's an, well, that another very, an interesting another, shift. Another variation, not that you'd want to make this the main course, but just for sort of spice is you wake up in the morning and say, what am I glad I didn't do yesterday? Ah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Phew, that yeah, was close. Yeah. I almost did that. I almost did that. And I didn't do it. You know? That is funny. But I, I get points right. for that. It's almost no, I mean, funny uh, thing. They asked Steve Jobs very close, you know, like a year or two before he died. They asked him what were the 10 best decisions he had made during mm. his Apple career. And he says, the 10 times I said no to something that would have really gotten us bogged down if we had pursued wow, it. Wow, yeah. So so I think that's as useful as what did you achieve. It's what did you not 
it's not what a lot of people grade themselves on what they said yes to, but they, mm. there's just as much value in remembering what you said no to. And the, we have the tool, the experience transformer and coach, you know, where you take something that you haven't resolved in your mind. And I had everybody just pick something during their teenage years because there's a lot of stuff that goes on in teenage years, you know, that's not understandable at the time. And maybe you didn't resolve it at all afterwards. So I said, just pick something that's negative from your teenage years that anytime you're reminded of it, it kind of rankles. You still get an emotional, negative emotional hit from it. And so they picked it. And, you know, a number of people, it was a relationship. Okay. You know, and this one guy said, he says, boy, and what we do is you write down what worked about that. And they this is the hardest time of it because their memory of it is nothing worked about it. But then you go through and, he say, and then he, you know, and I say now, so, you know, and then you say what didn't work about it. So after you've done what worked about it, it's easier to emotionally face the things that didn't work about it. It's very hard right. to what's not working head on. You have to yeah. you have to get your confidence level up before you can actually look at the things that didn't work. And then you say, if in a similar situation going forward, what would I do differently based on my thinking so far? So, yeah. And this one guy said, well, I had this girlfriend and she was a knockout and I just thought she was going to be the woman of my life and everything else. And 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 so, yeah, we got to it and I said, so what worked about that? And he says, well, I didn't marry her. <laughs> I said, you missed a bullet, didn't you? You missed it. Because he had met her about 15, 20 years later, and she wasn't the woman of his dreams when he met her. Oh, wow. and, uh, yeah. And I'm sure the woman, the women would have the same story to tell about men. You know, Thank God I didn't marry him. You know, so anyway, but, but I'm a great believer in reworking my past. You know, I'm, my past is my property, so I can do anything that I want with it. You know, your past is an interpretation of events. It's, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, our entire past is our interpretation of what certain events. You're not changing the events; mm -hmm. you're simply changing your interpretation of the events. And, and I spend a lot of time in my past. You know, I go back and I said. What did I learn from that? Gee, that's really useful. But my intent is always I'm going to learn something from the past that's applicable mm -hmm. to the future. I've, well, I think I've that's been what, thinking a lot about. I think that's that. what like, human. I think that's what humanity does. Is that right? Because I wondered if I thought maybe that was uniquely. I, mean, I thought maybe I spent a lot of time in the past, and you know, I kind of I do it with an analytical mind like i think i mentioned to you like looking back and kind of really breaking it down into the you know four to five year you know pretty serious mm. like inflection changes you know and so looking back for through lines and recognized that when you were talking about guessing and betting that i think that the you know it was really interesting is looking back at the things that I guessed right and bet. And the I think the reason that we take such comfort in looking back or that enjoy the fantasy of being able to go back 
is that because we know the we know the outcome now. Mm-hmm. Like looking back twenty five years, it would have been it would be really amazing to go back twenty five years now that we know where it's all heading. You know, we know having seen twenty twenty three, it would be very interesting to go back to nineteen ninety seven and know that the bets that you're making, you know, are going to pay off. But the real skill is to be able to turn that thinking and project forward for the next 25 years and make those bets, you know. And But it's also very interesting that there's probably, you know, when I looked at, when I look at 25 years, is an amazing framework for looking backwards, but there's not mm-hmm. there's not a lot of there's not a lot of things that you could kind of place a bet on with certainty that were going to pay out, and a lot of the things wouldn't have even come into existence. Like I think you know if you look back at 1995, like we said 28 years ago, the internet was just kind of getting started. So I guess that would be one thing that you Mm -hmm. can kind of place a bet on. But all of the things that the biggest winners among the internet, like, you know, Apple was going bankrupt in 1995. They were losing almost a billion dollars a year because of mismanagement and scattered efforts. And Steve Jobs didn't come back till 1997 and simplified things. And so you wouldn't have bet on Apple in 1995 as being... No, they just crossed crossed $3 trillion, first $3 trillion. So you wouldn't have have guessed that in 1995. There were no indications that they were going to be that. But you look at that period of innovation, the 10 years from 1997 to 2007 were tremendous yeah. innovation and game-changing mm-hmm. things all on the back of the internet. And I think that if you look at what Steve Jobs was able to see was going, just like he went all in on personal computers in a phase when it all mainframe and business, he in the 70s, yeah, that 25 years or 20 years or whatever, went all in on personal computing. And then when he saw the internet app, that was the world that he was like, how can we bring the world to these yeah. devices? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, the Walkman was the breakout product mm-hmm. of that. Well, the Apple, that wasn't Apple, but the iPod. Uh-huh. The iPod, the iPod, yeah, the iPod. Yeah. I mean, he just, and that was strictly internet, you know, that was totally making use of the internet. I mean, yeah. and the Mac was the Mac. I mean, he always had a great operating system before he the was fired. Was the, first, uh, the iMac yeah. was the first thing that, you know, really made the internet. computer. That was really yeah. the thing that was acknowledging it's all going yeah. to the internet. So the iMac was first. Then that brought yeah, in, and the, uh, the other thing that he he brought back much more so than he had in the first place yeah. was his was the sense that your product should be beautiful. And yeah, nobody in technology has never and nobody in technology 
did before or since has ever placed the the emphasis on beauty, beautiful and e- ease of use, you know, ease of use, and uh, you know, yeah. and you know, I mean, and and certainly Microsoft never twigged to that, even when they saw what they were up against. They never, right? They never saw why would you make things beautiful? You know why? You know, right. It just adds to the cost of development and everything else. Why would you do that? But if you don't have yeah. that sense, but he zeroed in on the artistic market where beauty is a big deal. Style, beautiful, you know, elegance, you know, all those things. That's mm. really not part of the technological brain, you know, yeah. for the most part. And premium. Because they're mostly in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know they he got rid of computer. You know it was just Apple, and yeah. and then they came up with their long range purpose, which was we make beautiful technology that people love using. And I said, oh God, mm-hmm. that's a forever, that's a forever purpose. When you're not bound in by any particular technology, you're not bound in by any particular period of time, you're not bound in by any particular target market is we make right. beautiful technology that people love using. I said, God, you can live yeah. with that forever. I mean, that's if you'd had that 4,000 right. years, if you had that 4,000 years ago, it'd be working. It'd be working today. That's so great. I love that. That's, that's a great thing, you know? Yeah. So what have we covered today? What territory oh have we covered? In cloud land. What, so have, we, what, what have, have we mapped, we mapped out and claimed as our, as well, I own. think that we've mapped out, like I'm looking at these, you know, I was fascinated by the whole, you know, by the, all these VCR collaborations, you know, yeah. like looking at how Mr. Beast, but just looking at the distinction between Feastables and Mr. Beast Burger and the precariousness of kind of, you know, being the capability that then brings the idea to the reach that's kind of precarious, you know, but I was looking, I was just thinking about like some of the clients that I'm working with now that are, you know, the, and people that I've met recently that have these amazing capability things, you know, like I was, so I was heard about Feastable. I was thinking about our friend and free zone member Shahid in India who makes yeah. all the biscuits and confection. No, Sam, Capability. Pakistan. Pakistan. Yeah, Pakistan. Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. The, he would know the difference. <laughs> of course he would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I should have known the difference. I've spoken with him, had Zooms with him, but there's a guy who's like, that. the capability that he has, you know, just ready for... He's, well, know. it's really interesting. He's just started a new collaboration in Italy. Okay, using his know-how, you know, they brought from that market. And now he's looking for the United States. And I said, you don't want to go to a after you've done Italy, you don't want to do another European country. And he says, no, it's right. going to be the U.S. And I said, it's mm-hmm. great, you know. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Right. Right, an impact builder and what you're looking for <laughs> and uh, and everything. Well, I think the big thing is the custom designing of the future, you know, and that my use of the fast filter tool. I'm sort of, cus- I said, you know, I'm picky about going forward. I'm picky about, yeah. And I said, does this check the ideation box? Does this check the, you know, the 
you know, maximizer and the other, mm-hmm. does this check, does it check all the boxes? And I'm not buying at all. You know, I'm just not getting involved if it doesn't check all the boxes. Right. And, you know, but what it does, it makes something that's sort of reactive and passive makes it into active and kind of aggressive. Because yeah. then you can go into any situation and say, you know, I'm, I know exactly what I'm looking for. And if it's not there, I'll know about it. I'll know it almost instantly. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing. I look at the maximizer. One of the realizations that I'm having about me and about my, you know, ideation and my, in the widget world, my discernment and invention, that those are I'm best suited to tap into an existing engine. Like that. I look at the biggest impacts that I've had and been able to join something, you know, be an accelerant, a rocket booster to something that is yeah, already, already exists. Yeah. yeah. Without me having to be an operator, because that's where yeah. my strengths fall down, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I've always called you the marketing Buddha. And as far <laughs> as I know, Buddha didn't keep office hours. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You yeah. just, you just enlighten the future. That's all you do. You enlighten mm. the future. That's that's yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. That's what that marketing uh, strategist for Bud Light was doing. She was enlightening the future. <laughs> she was going to elevate the brand and enlighten the future of their oh, boy. Uh, of their future. I said, well, if you certainly got a result. Amen. <laughs> I, mean, Holy cow. I mean, this is. Uh, yeah, and anyway, and a lot of people are saying it's a dead brand. It's it's you know the, it's not retrievable from where they put it with one can. It's pretty <laughs> you know? amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah it is because uh, you know I was in the local. We have a, a thing called Jug City here, which kind of tells you that it certainly defines the, the <laughs> customers here. Jug City, yeah. you know. <laughs> anyway, and I was in there, and I was in line. I came in and I just checked because people had their purchases in their hands. I went in and then I came out again and I saw 10 different kinds of beers being bought, but not Bud Light. And this is Canada. This isn't even the United States and everything like that. But boy, you know, (laughs) you don't want to get caught in a crossfire favoring one side, you know. Yeah. And, And they just. She just took it into the zone, and now the former CEO of Bud Light is saying the present CEO of Bud Light should just resign. He should just resign mm. because he's been an abysmal failure, and he was hired to take care of situations like this. He was hired not to get into situations like this, and now, right. but at least be able to extract them, and he really didn't. But uh, I bet this is being studied in all the business schools. <laughs> oh, man, talk about, yeah. What an amazing yeah, yeah. thing. It's just like this amazing story. You know, yeah, such an, I can't even, I think, I'm, I wonder what other, like, examples of that, you know, can't even think of anything that, that comes no, I can't think of a single. I mean, Target had a little whiff of that, but they got out of it mm. pretty soon because they were. And you know, this is the third rail of the subway. You don't touch this subject. You know, it's. Uh, I guess it's know, gender, back to gender. where the when the Ford Pintos were exploding. I guess yeah, but nobody yeah, would touch yeah. a Ford Pinto. Or, 
that no, is ruined no, yeah, of, I mean, of driving brand, right? You know, and we live in a million times more viral communications world now than we did back then. And yeah, you know, I mean, I go whoa, and now Dylan Mulvaney, the actress in the in the situation, is bashing. Bud Light for not sticking up for her, you know, and everything. Wow, so she's wow. saying, yeah. we're done with you. We're done with you. So the very target audience they were going after. Unbelievable. Huh? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. And so that qualifies as a bad guess and a bad bet. Well, there you go. Okay, yeah. Dan. But, you know, you know, you should do, kind of do it in a 10-person focus group before you do it live, oh, <laughs> live on goodness. the Internet. Somebody might have... <laughs> been able to say, hey, wait a minute, what about this? Yeah. Why don't we get some of these backward, out-of-touch people who happen to be the number one consumer of our product in a room and show them our new idea? Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, makes it for a interesting, entertaining world. Yeah. Well, you have an amazing, are you having another week at the cottage? Yeah, and uh, I'll be uh, I'll be available next Sunday. I'll be in Chicago okay. next Sunday. So, so uh, yeah, we'll, we're going in on Saturday because Joe and Eunice are going to personality with us. So we'll see it again on Saturday night. So, oh, nice. Anyway, but, uh, yeah, so 11 o'clock your time. Yes, perfect. I'll be there. All right. Okay. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye, Dan. <laughs>